Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike, and I am an alcoholic. Before we begin, let's open up the meeting uh, the way we typically do, with a moment of quiet time to invite the God of our own understanding into our hearts and ask for an open mind and the willingness to have a new experience, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind you. Okay, welcome to the fourth session of the Wednesday morning West Orange Beginners Classes. This week we'll be covering steps 10, 11, and 12. During the past three weeks, we've covered directions in the big book for taking the first nine steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and have taken steps one through eight together as a group. Last week we took steps six and seven together in class and covered the directions for making our eight step amends list. And we read the detailed instructions in the big book on how to com complete our ninth step amends. Uh, just one thing about uh, our eight step. Um, Remember, the, the key to the eighth step is not necessarily making the list. Uh, according to the big book, we made our list when we took our four-step inventory. Okay. The key is becoming willing to make amends to all the people that are on our list. Right. And the book says if we don't have the willingness to make amends to some of the people, it says pray until it comes. And in the meantime, we can start making the easier amends immediately. As we see the results of making amends to the easier names on our list, God will give us the power and the willingness to proceed with the more difficult names. Don't fall into the drunk trap of not proceeding with step nine until you're ready to face everyone on your list. That's, that's simply, and this is my experience, that, that's simply an excuse for not moving forward. And remember, we agreed at the beginning to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Well, in that case, any lengths means completing our amends. All right. You guys have any questions about steps eight and nine? Okay. All right, so we'll just move right along to uh, step 10. And step 10 is we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Let's turn to page 84 of the big book. second paragraph, and it says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So steps four through nine are all about cleaning up our past, Then that means we can begin to practice the principles of step 10 when we begin to take inventory. It's important to note that you do not have to wait until all your amends are complete before living step 10 on a daily basis. The book says we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past, not after we cleaned up the past. So the book continues, says we have entered the world of the spirit. Now let's think about what that statement means for a second. 
says, we have entered the world of the spirit. No longer are we living a life run on self-will, but we begin to live life run on God's will. Once I make a decision in step three to let God run the show, then I no longer want to live life on my terms. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to live life on life's terms. That's too difficult sometimes. I want to live life on God's terms. So the book continues. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Now, these are the, the directions for a daily tenth step. And let's see if, as we read through the directions, let's see if we can uh, spot where the preceding steps come in. It says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What step do we do that in? Four step, right? Okay. It says, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We did that in steps six and seven, right? We discuss them with someone immediately. Step five, and we make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Steps eight and nine. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So when one of my character defects appears during the day, I don't have to take action based on that defect. I can begin to practice the tenth step. And if I do act out on the defect, then step ten also gives me tools to straighten out any harm I might have caused. Once we've gone through the process of spotting the defect, ask God to remove it and discuss the problem with someone if necessary, and we've made amends if we've caused the harm, the book tells me now to turn my thoughts towards someone that I can be helpful towards. If I happen to be at work, I can be helpful to my boss or one of my coworkers. If I'm in line at a grocery store, I can be helpful to that little old lady uh, that may have one or two items. You know, and I don't, and I want to be first. I want to be through that line and out of that store, and I want my busy day. You know, but I can relax and take it easy. Uh, if a defect occurs while I'm in my car and I've asked God to remove it and I've seen and done my part, maybe I can turn my thoughts in the direction of someone who, whom I can be helpful towards by letting the other person go first at an intersection before I do. Yeah. After all, the book does say love and tolerance of others is our code. This takes a lot of practice, but with God's help and guidance, it can it can be done if we look at it. Right. These three steps, and in particular, 10 and 11, are about daily discipline. At least they have been for me. You know, it takes practice to work these steps. And uh, by all means, I don't do this perfectly. I don't think any of us do. As with most of the other steps in the big book, we get a set of promises after step 10. They're listed on pages 84 and 85. Let's continue reading with the last paragraph on page 84. And these are the tenth step promises. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, 
we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, nor are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. What a remarkable set of promises for a drunk at one time had no hope at all. We're promised that by the time we get to step 10, the booze battle, and we can all remember that, that battle we had with the bottle, that battle will have ended. We don't need to fight alcohol or any, anything or anyone else for that matter. It says the problem is removed. And remember, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind. So according to this paragraph, we're restored to our right minds. And alcohol continues to not be a problem for us if we keep in fit spiritual condition and continue to do the things the God of our understanding wants us to do. It's important to remember that we are not cured of alcoholism, but God will keep us safe and protected, providing we draw close to him and perform his work well. The first full paragraph of page 85 further explains this. It says, It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine, be done? These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. You thinking that must in that paragraph? We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish, but it is, it is the proper use of the will. So practicing step 10 on a daily basis, like I said, takes discipline and commitment. It's not always easy to admit when we're wrong and to ask God to remove the obstacles in our path which have caused, caused us to be blocked off from him, ourselves, and our fellow man. But we have to or else we pay the penalty of, of drinking again. And once we have entered the world of the Spirit, our function is to be of utmost help to God and the people in our lives. And acting out on our defects, which will ultimately, over a period of time, cause us to drink again, will not place us in a position to be helpful. So how many of us are willing to practice the disciplines of step 10 on a daily basis? We all ready to do that? Okay. Any questions on the 10th step? Pretty simple? Okay. Simple in theory, but not always simple to do. We're going to see in the, coming up in the 11th step how they're going to give us some directions to go through our day. And they tie in with the 11th step too, okay? 
the way Bill wrote the 11th step in the big book, uh, he broke it down into self-examination, meditation, and prayer. And if you read the 11th step in the 12 and 12, you'll see ironically it's broken down in the same way. And you were talking about before the meeting, uh, you know, using the two and go, going back and forth. You can really do that with the 11th step because they really parallel really nicely. Okay. So before we jump into the 11th step, let's read the second paragraph on page 85. It says, Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. But we must go further, and that means more action. The book never gives us a break, does it? Except for that hour we get uh, after step five. More action. Okay, now we're ready for the 11th step. Step 11 says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. The 11th step starts on the bottom of page 85 and extends through page 88. But as we have already seen, the big book has written, has been writing about prayer and meditation throughout the book. Right? Um, you guys should have the sheet in front of you. And I believe there's about 20 prayers that are found uh, all throughout the, the text of the big book, all throughout the uh the first 164 pages. So if you, uh, if you'd like to refer to this when you do, uh, your daily prayer, please feel free to do that. So on the bottom of page 85, we find step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. What does the big book mean when it says it works? In essence, it is telling us that prayer meditation puts us in contact with God. Hopefully that's what we've been doing during the past couple of weeks with the prayers we've learned while going through the, the previous steps. Hopefully we've been making conscious contact with the God of our understanding. Then on the top of page 86, they make the statement, it would be easy to be vague about this matter. Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. Okay, so the book says at night, the book suggests we review the day's activities. Uh, here are the directions for the evening review, and it's on the first full paragraph of page 86. And uh says... When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Okay, it says constructively, not destructively. We want to build ourselves up instead of tearing ourselves down. Okay? So let's keep that in mind when we go through these questions. This paragraph isn't uh, meant to be used as uh, a tool to beat ourselves up. You know, it's meant for progress. So it says we constructively review our day at night. And it asks us a series of 11 or 12 questions. Were we resentful, selfish, 
dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? Oh, that's usually a difficult one for me. What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. What we just read are the questions that we ask ourselves when our day is done. Some people like to go through these questions when the work of the day is finished and they're done for the day, or maybe after they get home from their evening, evening meeting. Others prefer, this, prefer to do this immediately before they shut their eyes and go to sleep. The important thing is that you find a routine that is comfortable for you and that you stick to it with consistency and discipline. Uh, what I've been doing lately is before I'm ready to, to go to sleep, I lay down in the bed, I try to clear my mind, and I ask God to, to guide and direct my thinking and to help me to review my day. Okay, uh, I do this one of two ways. Either I go through these questions, and as I go through these questions, I think about my day, and I try to plug these questions into uh, my entire day, or I take a couple minutes to meditate and just to go through my day from the time I woke up in the morning until I, the time I retired for the evening, and I think about how my day went, and then I answer these questions. This is something it doesn't necessarily have to be written down. Some people prefer to do it that way. I've done it that way for a period of time. Uh, currently, I'm not doing that. Uh, my fiancé and I, uh, when we can, we like to answer these questions together, and we do it out loud. And the principle that we try to practice, and I have difficulties with it sometimes, is that when she's answering the questions, I keep my mouth shut. And when, I, and when I'm answering the questions, she keeps her mouth shut. Uh, something that we do, sometimes I don't always see things, and my partner will see them when I don't. So we have a little agreement with each other that if that occurs, we'll ask for permission. Yeah. And if I see something while, while uh, she's going through her review, I'll uh, say, is it okay if I touch something? Is it okay? And I ask her for permission. And I'll just say something like, um, did you look at it this way? Or do you think maybe you could have did it this way? And she'll do the same thing. Um, and it's really fun, too, to go to share a prayer meditation and self-examination with another person. It, it, it really is fun, and it's really opened up a, a whole new thing for us. And it's going to tell us later on in the 11th step that, uh, you know, it's a good idea to share our prayer and meditation with other people. Okay. The next paragraph gives us suggestions on how to begin our day. 
It's the second paragraph on page 86. It says, Upon awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. So the book tells us to meditate first thing in the morning. Let's look at the sentence beginning with, before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. Please concentrate on these words for a moment. They are very important. It says, before we begin. Well, before we begin what? Before we begin listening to God. How do we know we're supposed to, we're supposed to listen to God? Because right afterward, it says, we ask God to direct our thinking. If we ask God to direct our thinking, doesn't it stand the reason that our next thoughts are going to be from God? We call these thoughts from God guidance. The big book tells us that God will provide us with the answers to all our questions, and we will receive these answers provided we are not blocked off from him. So the text continues. It says, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We're often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. So God is going to tell us his plan for our lives in the form of inspiration or intuitive thought or decision. The big book tells us to test our thoughts. Not all of our thoughts come from God. I think that's an understatement. But with time and practice, we begin to rely upon these thoughts. On the top of page 87, the book says, and it gives us a warning because it says, what used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still in experience and having just made conscious contact with God it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We may pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So to protect ourselves from absurd actions and ideas, we must test our thoughts to separate self-will from God's will. God's will has to grow, so it is important to discuss these inspirations or thoughts with a sponsor or a spiritual advisor. In the 12 and 12 on page 60, it says, Going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. How many times we have heard well-intentioned people claim the guidance of God when it was all too plain they were sorely mistaken. So it's good to get guidance from other people. In the next paragraph, it says, We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. 
We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. The book is giving us information to create a healthy prayer life. First thing is that we pray for freedom from self-will. The second is to never to request for ourselves only, but we can request for ourselves if others will be helped. The next paragraph tells us how to share prayer and meditation with other people, and we're going to do that in just a bit. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives and friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. The next paragraph tells us how to practice the 11th step during the day in conjunction with step 10. It says, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves, many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up en energy foolishly as we did when trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. The next paragraph says that prayer and meditation works. It says it works, it really does. And that's an ironclad guarantee. From the first, from first-hand experience, I can state that guidance has been working in my life ever since I began this daily practice. But what if we don't receive any God-given thoughts or guidance? Well, this can happen at any time. Remember, all we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. If we don't receive any guidance, it means we have work to do. Maybe we're not following God's will in some area of our lives, or maybe we haven't made necessary amends. If this is the case, we need to take the actions necessary to reestablish our connection with our Creator. So in our efforts, in our effort to fulfill AA's promise, of practice makes progress. I'm going to shut off the tape now so we can get quiet and follow the directions for morning prayer and meditation that the big book and many other spiritual books suggest. As a group, let's experience together what it's like to share our quiet time together like the book says on page 87. Okay, before we proceed to step 12, let's read the last paragraph on page 88, which says, We alcoholics are undisciplined. That's an understatement, huh? So we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. Excuse me. 
But this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. Prayer and meditation take dedication and practice. If we do the work, we will receive the rewards. And the rewards is a life filled with health, happiness, and serenity beyond our wildest dreams. <clears throat> so step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. There are three parts to step 12. The first one is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the first 11 steps. And a good explanation of uh, the spiritual experience can be found on page 569, which is in the back of the book in Appendix 2. So uh, when you get a chance, read through that. Second part of the 12th step is carrying this message to other alcoholics. And the third is to practice the principles of the first 11 steps. So if you've had the spiritual awakening as the result of taking the actions in steps 1 through 11, then you're ready to carry our life-saving and life-changing message to others. Let's concentrate on carrying this message to other alcoholics as the basis of our discussion for step 12. Okay, We're just basically going to cover the directions in the seventh chapter for making a 12-step call but there is so much more to the 12th step than that. Chapter 7 of the Big Book tells us exactly how to make a 12-step call. Here are, the, here are some of the main points it describes. I suggest you read the chapter in its entirety and discuss this con the contents of the chapter with your sponsor or other members of the group. Okay, so we're just going to go through some of the points. And we're going to do this in kind of a, a rapid fashion. So uh, if it takes too much to follow along in the book, to just kind of listen, because I'm just going to throw some things at you. On page 89 in the first paragraph, it says, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. More promises are given in the, ne in the next paragraph. It says life will take on a new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and each other is the bright spot of our lives. The rest of this chapter, for the most part, is step-by-step, clear-cut directions on how, how to make a 12-step call and work with a newcomer. So here are the, here's the start of the directions on page 90. First paragraph, top of the page. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. Let's skip down to the third paragraph of the page. It says, don't deal with him when he's very drunk, unless he is 
ugly and the family needs your help. Wait for the end of the spree, or at least for a lucid interval. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit, quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. Remember, we've recovered now. Next paragraph. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Okay, let's go to the next page. Third paragraph. Page 91, paragraph 3. It says, see your man alone if possible. And that means without the family being present. It's always a good idea to bring another member of AA uh, on a 12-step call with you. Remember, when it says to your man alone, if possible, that means to the exclusion of the family. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn to talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. Let's go to the last paragraph of the page. When he... When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done in the chapter of alcoholism. That's chapter 3, more about alcoholism. If he, is an al- if he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will, ma- he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Let's go to the second paragraph of page 92. It says, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of the body and the mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Now on the top of page 93, in italicized writing, uh, looks like about four line, three lines down, says, tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Right? says we don't shy away from God. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Let's go to page 94, first paragraph. Outline the program of action. Explaining how you made a self-appraisal, right, four step, and how you straighten out your past, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. And I found that to be very, very, very true. You know, some, sometimes the guy, the guys I sponsor, and, uh, start taking through the steps. Sometimes they go back to drinking. You know, we can go through this work and if we don't practice with consistency and discipline, um, steps 10, 11, and 12, many of us go back to drinking. And I found 
that having done the work with them, even though sometimes they go back out and drink, I've stayed sober. You know, so in many cases they've helped me much more than I've helped them. Okay. So on page 95, middle of the first paragraph, let's go about eight lines down. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the, skit, the, the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they work for you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If you're not just successful with this prospect, the first paragraph on page 96 tells us to just seek out someone else that is interested. It says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Page, on page 100, the book gives us a description of the relationship between a sponsor and the protege. It says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. Back in the third step on page 63, it said, we have a new employer. Well, if we have a new employer, that means we're the employee. If we're the employee, that means we have a job to do. On page 102, they give us our job description. It says, your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives, and God will keep you unharmed. By taking the steps and following the directions, we will have, we will have the spiritual awakening that the first part of Step 12 talks about. The remaining chapters of the text, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 are all about practicing these principles in all our affairs. All right. Just going to go through a couple examples. Please be sure to read through these chapters because sometimes in our meetings we don't give them enough attention and there really are a lot of helpful uh, things in these chapters. It says on page 132, but, we're, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. The next paragraph says, so we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered and we have been given the power to help others. Everybody knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So let each family play together or separately as much as 
their circumstances want. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Let's end our fourth session together with a couple of readings from the 11th chapter of Vision for You. Let's go to the last line of page 162. Last line. It says, Thus we grow, and so can you. Though you be but one man with this book in your hand, one man or one lady, with this book in your hand, we believe and hope it contains all you will need to, to begin. We know what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself, I'm jittery and alone. I couldn't do that. But you can. And forget you forget you have just now tapped a source of power much greater than yourself. To duplicate with such backing what we have accomplished is only a matter of willingness, patience, and labor. Page 164, second paragraph. says, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation. This is another prayer we can say in the morning. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for allowing me to be your guide during the past four weeks. My hope and prayer for you is that you continue to do this work and help others in taking the 12 steps as the early members of our fellowship did and as simply outlined in the big book. My second prayer is that, that you leave here today with the motivation for teaching a 12-step beginner's class or to even start a beginner's class meeting in your neighborhood or town. The format that we've used during the past four weeks is suggestive only, and there is no one way to teach these classes. Every group teaches them uh, a little differently depending on what their local needs are. If you'd like a sample outline of the format we've used during the past four weeks uh, so you can get a group together, or if you like a copy of the tapes from the past four weeks, please give me a call. My phone number is area code 973-731-1073. Okay. Thank you all once again, and may God's grace continue to bless you. Any questions?